This episode is brought to you by Tresta. Tresta is an app for iPhone and Android that lets you do business calling and texting from anywhere with no hardware, just the smartphone you're already using. Tresta is the best business phone app on the market, whether you're freelancing, working remotely, or running a small business. Growing your network and your business is all about communication. You've got to be available no matter where you are. Tresta offers the call management features that empower you to communicate smarter and more efficiently like auto attendance, call recording, user groups, and more. Tresta is easy to configure so you can set everything up yourself all online. Tresta's virtual phone system makes it easier and more affordable to set up a fully functioning mobile office. It's just $15 per user per month with no contract. So start your free 30-day trial today at Tresta.com slash frequency. That's www.tresta.com slash frequency. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm full of optimism. Einstein's theory of relativity. We're still seeing it quite well through that haze. E equals MC. That all men are created About the future innovation. And growing strength in the air. This is Finding Your Frequency with your host, Jeff Spinard and Ryan Treasure. It's time to speak up, share your voice, and hear from the thought leaders. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another fantastic episode of Finding Your Frequency. I am your host, Ryan Treasure, and here we are in lovely Phoenix, Arizona, springtime. It's beautiful outside, and it's Finding Your Frequency, and we're right here to bring you a fantastic episode. You know, so many times we we, we sit on these interviews, and we talk so much about business and entrepreneurship and uh, different uh, components of parenting and screen time and you know talk to uh, people like Josh and Lisa Lannon who are rich dad advisors who write the book The Social Capitalist and you know really find out how people found their frequency in life and in business and decided to do what they do uh, and, and we're still going to continue that theme in the show today except for we're going to take a little twist here and we're going to go down uh, down the path of, of, of talking about a different industry than we've generally talked about here on the show uh, and so the title of this episode is Vino Bam Bito, right? So vino, you know, wine, uh, Pinot Noir, Zinfandel, Syrah, Sauvignon Blanc, all of those fun things, right? Uh, as you guys know, wine is uh, a very large industry in the United States, and uh, I live here in Arizona. And a lot of people don't know this, but Arizona has some fantastic wineries. And so today we're going to talk to the owner and winemaker of Vino Bambito that's in, uh, in, in Arizona. She's also a member, a board member of the Arizona Wine Growers Association. So we want to welcome Brooke to the show. Brooke, welcome. Thank you, Ryan. How are you today? I am fantastic. It's uh, mid-afternoon, so that means it's like the hump part of the regular day. That's right. It is. <laughs> yeah. It is. So for those of you guys who uh, listen to the show, I've known Brooke for a very long time. A very long time. I'd say like 15 or 16 yeah. years or something like something that. Something like that. Yeah. So we've had some uh, some fun times, worked together in, uh, in professional uh, uh, spaces as well, and also um, have fun with the kiddos. She's a avid volleyballer, uh, as well as you guys know, you've heard me talk about my cousin who was uh, going to be on the Olympic volleyball team, and uh, they just won state. Good for them. Yeah, so that was pretty awesome. So a little town in Idaho, you know, she was the... Uh, 
uh, assistant coach for Idaho State University. And then uh, in her hometown where she lives in Idaho Falls, they offered her the head coaching job of the biggest 6A school that's in cool. the area. And her first year, they won state. That's awesome. So it was pretty cool. Pretty cool to see all that on social media, too. I was excited for them. Good for her. But hey, let's talk about wine. Okay, let's talk about wine. Um, so, I kind of asked you this earlier. What do you know about wine? And how can I help you gain some knowledge today on specifically Arizona wine? Yeah, so um, I'm not a huge wine drinker. <laughs> although, um, I do like to have white wine and mussels. Like, that's like oh, yeah. a staple for mm-hmm. me. Like, when my wife and I go to... Um, Carabas, and we'll have the wine, and they have uh, some kind of a white wine, a, a Porta Bianco or something mm-hmm. like that, which is pretty good. I like, I like that. Um, so that's about my extent of my wine <laughs> knowledge. Is I know I like those, um, and then I know on the redder ones like Pinot Noir is one yeah. that I kind of like if it's not too dry. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a lot of the wines I just don't like them because they are really dry. Yeah, you know. And then the other wet ones are sometimes too sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I could I could fumble my way through a uh, you know a Pinot Grigio or a Riesling or something like that. Yeah. Well, um, you you bring up an interesting topic in sweetness versus dryness in wines, and um, sweetness is called uh, residual sugar, and it's when it, there actually still is sugar okay. left, and the yeast haven't fermented everything fully yet, um, and it's a stylistic choice that the winemaker will make. Um, to either make something super dry um, or a little bit on the sweeter side. Is there like a certain reason why a winemaker would do that? Was it for, you know, like pairings with different kinds of food that work better with sweet versus whatever? I'll give you an example. So like I know um, a lot of times when you go to a restaurant and like you're having a piece of, um, you know, like chocolate cake or something like that, a lot of people will have like a Cabernet Sauvignon that goes with like that chocolate cake. Sure. And I can't. I'm just like, I need milk. (laughs) It's too dry. Um, Yeah, so um, dryness versus sweetness, uh, I think, originated based on region. Like, sweeter wines tend to come out of Germany and Austria, specifically Rieslings. Um, Those types of varietals are pretty high in acidity, and they balance well with sweetness. Um, So that stylistic choice might be made. Um, There's also dessert wines or ports where um, brandy is added. Um, before the fermentation is completed. I haven't had one of those. That sounds good. Yeah, and those are really good with dessert as well. Do those ones have a higher alcohol content yes. because of the added brandy? Exactly. What, uh, okay. And then I've seen some other ones like at the store where you, you look at them and they're like a blended wine mm-hmm. where it won't, it's not one specific kind like a Pinot or a Zimf or whatever, but it might be like a, a Pinot Zimf Syrah like you know, right. all mixed together. What's the, what's the point of that? So um, each varietal tends to impart different components, whether it's acid, um, tannin, uh, structure, body, mouthfeel, aroma, all of those elements actually can be blended from different grapes and create a more balanced wine. Um, So a lot of people are purists and they want a single varietal wine, but really, and specifically in Arizona, we make some pretty killer blends that pull acid from, let's say, a a certain grape and pull tannin from another and then have an amazing aroma from a third grape. Oh, so it's like you're you're taking the the like the best parts of exactly. each one of them and putting them together like a hybrid. 
Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, you know, we, we've had a whole bunch of like CBD and medical marijuana mm-hmm. shows on here. So we've talked about that, like the hybrid versions of medical marijuana and the flowers and how they blend them together for different, you know, effect and those kind of things. So that's kind of very similar uh, in that space. And it's no different. I mean, it's plants that you're basically hybriding the same as you would with any other plant. I, I went to the uh, Amadio Ranch Farms uh, on Monday. Uh, uh, to pick up a, a chicken pot pie because they make like fresh scratch. They're, they 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 their chickens are from the farm. The vegetables, Yum. everything's all from the farm. Um, you know, and and he was he grows he has a peach orchard there. And so what I thought was really cool is we had a late freeze in our winter time, and so he tried to use this old method where you use overhead water sprinklers mm-hmm. to um, uh, like basically set the buds in the frozen icicles, yeah, so they won't fall off or get too brittle, and then over time as the ice melts it's supposed to retain them and unfortunately he lost 20 trees worth of buds from that even though he tried to use that area but what i thought was cool was he's like oh i just cut them all down and um i went and find found a better varietal and he's grafting the varietals that are better you know suited for the freezing temperatures sure uh, to the actual uh, trunks of the original tr- of the original trees which I thought was really interesting so when I went there yesterday they had all these you know like little mini trees sticking out mm-hmm. of the big trees um, so we do that in viticulture as well nice um, there was a phenomenon um, a disease phenomenon called phylloxera which is a root louse um, that kills vines and vines um, that are native to the United States mm-hmm. are um, immune to this disease okay. but they are not in Europe where most vitus vinifera is is the technical I guess name for grapevines so during the 1800s um, some plant scientists brought over uh, roots a uh, root stock and cuttings of American grapevines and phylloxera was on these grapevines and it spread all throughout Europe and killed 80% of the vineyards. So the solution, (laughs) what they came up with was grafting Vitus vinifera on American rootstock um, because the American rootstock is resistant to phylloxera. So most of the vineyards that are... um, So we saved France twice? (laughs) (laughs) I I guess you could say that. Um, Are on American rootstock. Anyway, here in the United States, we use rootstock as well. Um, And specifically here in Arizona, um, we've got rootstock that does well um, in drought conditions. Um, Yeah, that was going to be one of my next questions because um, we have a really diverse environment in Arizona, you know, in, in Northern Arizona and Flagstaff and such. I mean, it gets freezing cold and they get 80 inches of snow, you know, and then in, in mid Southern, you know, kind of where Phoenix is, we have this, uh, you know, very desert like scenario, but then you have where your guys' winery is, which is also desert, but different desert. Yeah. It's so in Arizona, we grow, um, wine grapes at altitude. So we grow between 3000 and 6,000 feet. Um, so not really in Phoenix, although in the Salt River Valley, they were growing in the 1800s, okay. which Father Kino, when he brought the mission movement up from Mexico, brought the mission grapes so that they would have sacramental wines in the 1700s. Yeah. And there were vineyards um, all over Arizona until Prohibition. Uh, and Yeah, well, and there, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of places in the Salt River Valley that are probably 3000 feet. Right, too. right. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. mean, they were producing up to 50,000 gallons of wine a year <laughs> in before 
prohibition hit. Yeah, I'm a I'm a Salt River Valley junkie just because of the superstitions, right? Right. And the whole like Lost Dutchman's Gold Mine. So amazing it, up there. Yeah, and the whole backside of the Superstition Mountains is what is the Salt River Valley. Right. And so you go back through there, you know, and my favorite lake in the world to go to is Apache Lake, which mm-hmm. is, you know, right there in that area. So yeah, love so it. So cool. Yes. So, I mean, vineyards were here. Um, Arizona was one of the few states that um, adopted prohibition early. Uh, for some crazy reason. It's because Utah's north of us. Uh, maybe that's it. Um, <laughs> and so it wasn't until like 1933 when Prohibition ended that the industry could kind of come back online. Um, but vineyards take a long time to be established and they're you know pretty expensive um, to install. So it wasn't until 1973 when a soil scientist from UC Davis came to the U of A and he recognized that grapes could grow here. Mm-hmm. So we went around the entire state finding like the perfect soil structure for um, wine grapes to grow. And okay. Sonoida was one of the best ones that he found, uh, along with the Verde Valley. Um, yep, I've at, heard of some wineries up there too. Yeah, so we have three grape growing regions. We have Wilcox, which is in the southeastern portion of the state. Um, we've got the Verde Valley, which is Sedona, you know, Jerome, Clarkdale, Cottonwood. And then Sonoida, which is about 45 minutes south of Tucson, but at 5,000 feet. So we're 30 miles from Mexico, but we're at 5,000 feet and it's rolling grasslands. It's super pretty. Oh, that's like perfect for farming. It's awesome. You know, um, you, you, were, you were talking about how um, the the grapes and the grapevines take a little while to get established, like when you first start a vineyard. <laughs> yeah, it takes four <laughs> years for the vines to fruit. Um, and really, uh, the fruit characteristics that um, are most desirable um, com- and from a complexity standpoint uh, really don't come online until about year 12. Whoa. Um, so you can still make good wine off vineyards that are relatively young, um, but you have to kind of be in it for the long haul. That was kind of like I went to a Home Depot one time thinking like, Oh, I want an orange tree, mm-hmm. right? And uh, I, I like I like I like navel oranges. They're super good. Um, and so I'm like, oh, no problem. I'll go get one. You know, you can buy them where they're like a year or two already yeah. old. And I'm like, I'm gonna buy a miniature one so I can just keep it in a pot. And I'm like, all right, cool. So I go get it, and I have this tree for like three years. I know, and, you and I got nothing out of it, yeah. right? And then my mom had uh, her orange tree at her house. It died. It got some kind of mold or some infection in it. So I went over there and dug it out and cut it up for her. And then I'm like, well, my mom needs a tree. And I got this tree that's doing nothing. And it's a mini tree. So my mom was like, yeah, bring the mini tree over. I bring the mini tree. We plant it. You know, it's still for three more years after that still didn't fruit at all. And then all of a sudden it started fruiting. And it's like now the tree's 10 years old now. And now it fruits every year, sometimes twice a year, which is cool. Yeah. Um, And I was over there this weekend and. And um, it's supposed to be a miniature navel tree. It's not supposed to be any higher than three feet. It's 12 and a half feet tall. I bet that it's not grafted or maybe it's grafted on uh, something else. Something that's pretty robust in terms of rootstock. And I'm glad you brought up grafting because that's kind of cool. You were talking about the rootstock, but do they ever graft like actual grape uh, vines together like they do um, like where you've seen there's hybrids yeah, yeah. where you've seen like mm-hmm. half and it's like the, the tree is half lime and half lemon and they've grafted it together I'm sure they could do that I haven't seen that I've seen it more from like a plant production standpoint like the pathology yeah. bringing characteristics of like they do that up in um, you know grape vines grow in all 50 states which is pretty cool so like up in uh, Michigan 
up in that area, they grow hybrids, which will take a little characteristic from this varietal, a little characteristic from this varietal, and then the varietal, the baby, right, takes on those elements, and it's more how resistant. Are they, how are they... Uh, an example, right, is um, most other plants, if you have a plant species A and plant species B, but they're like cousins, you can take pollen from one and add that to the flower of the other one. And then you'll eventually get like a crossbreed of the two of them in one. How does that work with grapes? It's more of a breeding program. Well, grapes are self-flowering, so they don't need yeah, to be okay. pollinated like by another male they don't ha- they're um like tomatoes are self-pollinating right well some most tomatoes <laughs> um but they they have characteristics from a vine and then they will breed that vine and add another vine to maybe graft it and oh, okay. then from that point forward it will take on like sauvignon blanc the parent of that is cabernet or maybe it's the reverse of that but a lot of these varietals have been bred to create different varietals well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I guess it's a good thing because nobody wants to drink like the same kind of wine all the time. Or you want wines that are going to be a good expression of the the region that they're in, right? Um, and resilient to whatever. Like here in Arizona, we have problems with late spring frost, like you were talking about yep. the peach trees. We have that in grapevines too. So we want varietals that bud out late, like around March, um, maybe April, May, later mm-hmm. in yep. the season, it, depending on where in the state you're growing. But we also have monsoon season, so the the last thing you really want with grapevines is like torrential rains, right when they're you know ready to be harvested, because it can cause a lot of rot issues. Oh yeah, um, hail events can wipe out a vineyard. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. Yeah. You would lose your whole growing season. So you want varietals that bud out late but ripen quickly, so that you can pick them right Bef- before the monsoon or comes. before it gets too gnarly because yeah. you don't want fruit to have to hang all the way through monsoon season like last year we got hit with a, a hurricane like a legit the, hurricane that came up for mexico that right? came yeah, up yeah, yeah. from mexico because Sonoida, where we are is like just east of the baja um the apex of the baja and we got like five and a half inches in two days. That's it was a lot insane. Of rain. And but it was cold rain, so that fruit dried out and it didn't get rotty and gross. I thought that we were gonna lose like everything. Gonna, oh, yeah, right. I thought we were done. <laughs> That's good. I was depressed. I Do was you, drinking a lot of wine sitting in my little winery. Well, at least you had something to drink. <laughs> <laughs> Are you having trouble finding hand sanitizer? Well, Spa Treat has you covered. There's no need to go searching high and low. Just visit spatreatofficial.com and place your order on their easy to use website. On schedule delivery. One of the great things about this product, Spa Treat Fulfillment Team is working around the clock to provide people hand sanitizer during this time of need and get your order to you as quickly as possible, even faster than Amazon. Spa Treat also has the lowest price of any of its competitors. Spa Treat has 62% alcohol content and the FDA recommends between 60 to 80 for maximum protection. This one has 62 because it doesn't dry your hands out. I use this stuff every single day. It is fantastic. It's got certified organic extracts with the ingredients in that hand sanitizer that are of the highest quality and they're designed to leave your hands smelling and feeling fresh while protecting you at the same time. The best part, there's no tricky residue left over. None. None of that sticky stuff. 
Four scents available, unscented, tea tree, lavender, and lemon. And best of all, this product right here is made in the good old United States of America. A lot of companies are having trouble dealing with the current demands, so Spa Treat has dedicated themselves to providing a much-needed product in the time of crisis. Spa Treat has better prices, faster shipping, and a larger supply than any of their competition. There isn't even a close second. Visit SpaTreatOfficial.com and enter promo code SPA SPA at checkout to receive 5% off your entire order. That's right. Not only are they offering the lowest price available, but they're also offering our listeners a discount. This promo code is exclusive to Voice America and only our listeners get this discount. SpaTreat and Voice America came together on this sponsorship in order to provide Americans something they could really need right now. Peace of mind. Visit SpaTreatOfficial.com and order yours today. That's SpaTreatOfficial.com and make sure you use the promo code SPA at checkout to receive 5% off your entire order. SpaTreatOfficial.com. Get your awesome hand sanitizer. You know, you were talking about the three different regions in Arizona that have uh, that have uh, wineries and that grow grapes and all that stuff. Um, is there a specific... Uh, thing that each region does better than another one like and and then part two of that question is do do you guys from the different regions ever have like a a gathering of sorts so you guys can mind meld and see what what's going on in Sonoida versus you know Verde Valley and how different varietals are growing and Absolutely. Because it's two, like, th- those specifically are way completely different, Super envi- different. environments. Yeah. So, like, Sonoida, um, Spanish varietals do good down there, um, and some Rhone varietals. Spanish, like, Grenache does great. Um, Graciano is wonderful. Petit Verdot does good. Um, I would say Wilcox, you, uh, well, let me back up and say that there's between 40 and 50 varietals planted in the state right now. Um, so it's a lot of grapes. It's a lot of different grapes, right? Growing in different soils. Um, and again, it takes a while to really see what the mature fruit is going to look like. And farming practices come into account too with that. Um, but we're still kind of trying to figure out if we are like a state that will blend wines forever. And we'll, because ha- a lot of grapes do pretty well here. It's not, that's mm-hmm. why there's so many growing here. Um, but we're not like a Willamette Valley where we just grow Pinot Noir and Pinot Gris. Um, we've got a lot of good Spanish varietals do well. Um, Sangiovese does well. Um, Alianico, which it grows in Campania, uh, does well. Um, some French varietals do are those, great. Are those all red grapes? Or, um, or like versus, because I know there's white wine and, and red wine yeah. and red grapes and whatever. So we do grow a lot of red fruit. Um, the sun is so intense here that you want a berry skin that can withstand that exposure. Mm, okay. Um, but we do grow whites. Pickpool does great here. Viognier does great. Um, Let's see what how, else. How do those grapes like? If you know when you when I go to the grocery store and I buy grapes that I'm oh, gonna this eat, is a good question. I love yeah. This. How 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 does a wine grape taste in comparison to like grapes that you would regularly eat? Are they bitter? No, no, no. Wine grapes are like candy. Oh. They're super sweet. They just have seeds in them, so they're kind of a pain to eat in that sense. But you would want to eat a wine grape over a table grape any day. My favorite table grape is the cotton. Candy oh yeah, grapes. it's like cotton candy. I would say times <laughs> like ten. Oh yeah. I mean. <laughs> you are like, what is this? This is amazing. Malvasia does great here too. That's another white varietal. So it's, it's March right now that we're recording this in March. So where are you guys? Are you guys? Are your grapes like starting to get into bud right now? Um, we don't want them to bud out. They're finishing uh, pruning right now, okay. and then starting to bud. I haven't been to the vineyard recently, but they yeah. 
uh, we got to stop for just a second and talk about an awesome product. And when I say awesome product, I mean awesome because I just used it. I used it yesterday. I used it every other day. I'm bald and I know having a good set of razor blades is amazing. And now is not the time to overpay for razors at the drugstore. Harry knows sometimes it's better to stay inside. That's why they ship directly to you so you can experience the quality of a Harry shave in just a few days from the convenience of your own home. What I really love about it are their shave gels, the low prices. It's just amazing. Join the 10 million people who have tried Harry's and claim your special trial offer by going to harrys.com forward slash frequency. That's harrys.com forward slash frequency. And why Harry's, you ask? Because it's awesome. I'm a bald guy, like I said before, and I know razors. And I know this product. It's fantastic. Harry's is a return to the essential. Quality, durable blades at a fair price. Just two bucks a blade. That's right, two bucks. They've cut out middlemen. They have a great German blade factory that's been honing precision blades for a century. That means you get a high-quality blade at factory direct prices. You can feel good about your purchase. 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know. They'll give you a refund. And 1% of the proceeds are set aside for nonprofit organizations devoted to helping provide access to better health care for men and veterans. You guys know Finding a Frequency. We love to support the veterans. Exclusive offer for listeners of Finding Your Frequency. Listeners of this show can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com forward slash frequency. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, five blade razor with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe to help keep your skin hydrated, and a travel blade cover to keep your razors dry and easy to grab on the go when it's time to do it. Go to harrys.com forward slash frequency and start shaving better today. Mr. Amadio's wife, I was talking to, I was at the mm-hmm. farm when I went there to go pick up the pie and I was looking at the peach trees. She was, um, they have a, they have, they have grapes too. Yeah. Uh, and so that's what she was doing. She was pruning all of their, mm-hmm. all their grapevines when I got there. Yeah. Pruning is really important to your fruit load and, um, to the way, uh, your crop's going to look that season. So it's a skill. It's a really, really. Yeah. I mean like with the, um, like citrus fruit, for instance, um, I had to do this with the tree we were just talking about with my mom. Um, it buds so much. You actually have to go through thin and buds. thin the buds mm-hmm. out to make room because I mean, the oranges they get, you know, for a yeah. mini navel orange tree, they look like, um, they look like uh, can little cantaloupes are huge. Yeah. We uh, shoot thin and, um, bud rub to reduce, uh, the crop load because okay. that can stress out the vine, um, and not be able to ripen it fully. The canopy, you want a good ba- balance between your canopy, which are the leaves. Yeah, um, the top section. And yeah. your fruit. Um, so yeah, there's definitely that. Sometimes fruit gets dropped so that the canopy has fewer clusters to, clusters to ripen. Do you keep do you keep um, your do you keep your plants trimmed like a certain amount off of the ground? Yeah. So you want your um, so you've got your trunk, uh, your cordons, which are the arms that go out. Um, and then you have your spurs that go up, uh, which carry the canes that are the are the budding so elements. Similar to the way a strawberry works, like it. Yeah, has, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, you want that off the ground, and okay. then we mow actively, or some people use, you know, Roundup or other chemicals to try and suppress any growth that's on the the floor. You, got, you guys mow. We mow, yeah. <laughs> um, and because you don't want pests and vectors to live in that in that environment because then they can bring diseases you also don't want roundup in your soil you don't but it's used a lot in viticulture i I mean and i mean it's It's used used a lot of places my family that it lives in idaho one of my aunts and uncles own 
um, thousands of acres that they grow hops and barley on. Yeah. And they grow specifically for Budweiser and Budweiser only. And they can't even they can't even go get their own seeds like they have to go get the seeds and pay them from Budweiser. Right. Oh, interesting. In order. In Genetically order to, modified. And, they, and they are. Oh, for yeah, sure. Oh, oh, yeah. And they, and then that's exactly what they're modified for, for, um, you know, to get increased yield yeah. on them. Uh, and then as well as a certain p- a flavor profile, too. Sure. Because, um, which I thought was really weird. There's a patent on all of those beer flavors. Like you can't, you're not allowed to replicate the flavor of Bud or Bud Light. Yeah, right. it, it makes sense. I mean, your consumer is expecting X product, and if they get Y, they might not be that into it. Where that's where I think wine gets interesting is like the whole art of terroir, where you're pulling up, like especially in Arizona, like we've got such a ge- like the geology in our state is so vast and yeah. interesting, and um, drinking wines from Arizona, you can taste those elements, and vintage variation is one of those, like weather variations what the crop looked like did we have a hail event all of those things or did the fruit come in mm-hmm. a little bit underripe and we had to do something in the winery to you know to manipulate the product I, I think wine's interesting in having vintage variation because it i god for i mean i'm not a i like beer but and i'm not going to discriminate because it takes a lot of good beer to make good wine because we like to drink beer in the cellar anyway um <laughs> I can't imagine drinking the same thing over and over again my entire life. Like, gouge no. my eyes out now. No. No, and that's funny. When, speaking of beer, right? So, like, I have an uncle who, like, he only drinks Bud Light. Well, that's my husband only drinks Miller Light. I'm like, yeah, and, gosh, and why? I, and I'm, I'm cool with that. I I, I like the consistency yeah, of knowing uh, that many, every, many time, people do. every time I grab a, a Bud Light, it's going to taste the same. It's never going to be bad or really good. Yeah. <laughs> right? But then there's times I'm like, no, today I'm make I'm I'm getting some Modelo. I'm gonna make Chilada. Totally. You know, and and try to and try to mix it up because I I get bored. Well, like, what do you <laughs> like to do? You like tequila? Do you like? I mean, I, my what my, what I'm my kick right now is um, I'm making what, what's called Michelada. Um, I make it with Dos Equis Amber. Yeah, loved uh, Dos Equis right? Amber. Okay. One, one shot of vodka. Oh. And then mixed with uh, what's called Mister Chilada, which is the uh, Michelada mix that I get from the Carniceria. Um, and then I mix that together and make a drink and then salt it. Yum. It's fantastic. Okay. And in my head, in my head, I know this is not the truth because my wife tells me all the time. I'm like, well, if I'm adding all of these healthy ingredients and that to my beer, well, then I'm really just my, my biggest health concern is just the total number of carbohydrates that's in the beer, <laughs> not necessarily, you know, any other factor or calories maybe that might be in there. So I feel like I'm drinking healthy beer when I do that. Well, keep telling yourself that. <laughs> that's what my wife said too. <laughs> keep telling yourself that. No, but, but I think her, she, she's like a total IPA snob. My oh yeah, yeah, is. yeah, yeah. So my best friend in California yeah. is too. I mean, like, and hoppy, like, yeah, pretty I, gnarly I barely, beers. I, when, if I if I run out of beer at home and there's anything left and it's like hers, like sometimes I won't even have any beer. I'm like, I'm good. You're good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to each their own. I think that that's what this all is about. But I mean, back to wine. Like, I think people can get super snooty on wine, and I don't think it needs to be like that. It's an agricultural product that that people have been drinking for 10,000 years, you know? Like, yes, there's a lot of science that goes into it. Um, There's a lot of creativity, but really you're 
relying on some yeast to ferment some sugars and make it into an alcohol. And then you put it in whatever vessel you want yeah, to people, age it in. People have been doing that particular thing with all kinds of different fruits for a long time. A long I mean, time. People make like orange and, and yeah. limoncello, which is kind of the totally. same idea, which is fantastic, by the way. I know, I like limoncello. <laughs> yeah, um, it's good. But yeah, I mean, like, it's just, I, I love the... You know, back to how we knew each other, being in corporate America, sitting mm-hmm. behind a desk, like that just wasn't for me anymore. I couldn't do it anymore. I mean, I was an athlete and loved manual labor and told my husband that I was like kind of over sitting at a desk. And he was like, really? Like now? <laughs> and I said, I wanted to go back to school and I wanted to become a farmer. And, you know, that's how this really started was wanting to be outside, be working with my hands, working with the product. That and, and this is where we get into the the premise of the show itself. I mean, this is, you know, Brooke finding her frequency, mm-hmm. right? You, 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 you decided to step out of what was your comfort zone yeah. and uh, you summoned the intestinal fortitude to mm-hmm. go out and do something different. It's it's I look back and I'm like, God, what was I thinking? <laughs> I, I really do, because it, like it. It was super intimidating at first just to like, once you're in a what, career. What was, your, what was your original degree, like marketing or something? No, right? my my undergrad is in maritime archaeology. Okay. So after I played volleyball uh, in Spain and came home um, after after college, I got my first job was Voice America. <laughs> That's awesome. I know. And then, you know. I met my husband. I had kids and I, was ta- I did other marketing jobs. And so life just kind of spent like sped up and I kind of just looked in the mirror one day and I was like I do not want to be doing this so with farming the grapes you kind of get to be a little archaeological and playing in the dirt sure you know sure yeah I love getting dirty (laughs) I love I mean that's it's funny that I'm married to someone as conservative as I as he is (laughs) like I mean regularly I've got dirt under my nails and wine stained hands and I'm sure he's just like oh my gosh but (laughs) That's just my jam. That's what I like. That's um, awesome. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. I mean, I've been corporate Americaing for a yeah. long time, um, but I have some outlets like this. Yeah, right. I love to just have conversations totally. about random stuff because I have a, I have a thirst of knowledge of whatever. I just want to know about things, and so this this show allows me the opportunity to have that outlet where I can you know do a show on wine one day and I can do uh, a show on uh, grief and loss another day. Totally right, and share stories on things that I've dealt with in my life and how did other people overcome them, you know, and then flip that around and talk to a New York Times bestselling author about their book on entrepreneurism. Yeah, you know, and all of those things are such a wide swath but I'm like you know in in every instance of who I am as a person I'm a little bit interested in all of those totally things. you know like uh I don't know my my uh, like a like a renaissance man I guess of sorts like jack of all trades but master of the radio <laughs> I could see you going on jeopardy and killing it no I'd probably lose mm. I need some more time you need some more time <laughs> um yeah so I, I that just I I just started out by taking a couple of classes and then I ended up getting my degree and then ended up focusing more on the wine side of the business like just through my practicum hours that I had to do and then getting hired uh, was all on the winery side we ultimately ended up buying land that I thought we would plant a vineyard on right away but right now Arizona's got 
a surplus of fruit that you can buy and they're looking for just wineries to be able to sell just it to. Sell the fruit. Yeah, a lot yeah. of people come like from California or even here in the valley and they retire and they want a vineyard to take care of in their, you know, as they age. And it's beautiful. The aesthetics of a vineyard are really pretty, but oh, yeah. the the idea of having to make that fruit into wine and then go out and sell the wine, it it's just a little daunting. Um, so they're willing to sell me fruit. Yeah, well, and I mean, I guess it wouldn't really be that bad of a of a of a hustle either. If you're like your retirement years is you taking care of your vineyard for wine for yourself, and you don't have to really worry about trying to sell it to anybody. Totally. You know, maybe you sell a bottle or two here and yeah. there. Who cares? Like give some to your friend. Yeah, like yeah. whatever. Yeah, you make it in your garage and. Yeah, I mean... The, you make one with your face on it just so it's fun. Totally. <laughs> the um, vineyard that we primarily work with is farmed by an uh, ex-Phoenix fire chief. Oh, cool. And it's his retirement, and he's great. I get to work closely with him on how he farms his vineyard, and uh, he takes a lot of pride in, in the fruit that we make wine out of, and um, it's just a really beautiful relationship. Like cool. I really appreciate him, and I think that he trusts me to make good wine out of his product which is it's fun it's so, fun i mean it's almost like you guys have a co-op in, we, that, yeah. in that space right exactly yeah my family grew up in like i said in in, in idaho that's all they did was farming mm -hmm. um and you know the community where my mom's from like even right now i just i just went back there in in july for a family reunion even right now there's only 1100 people that live in the whole town yeah sonoida right? is 800 it's yeah, you have to rely on your yeah, neighbors everybody works together mm -hmm. you know um what i thought was really funny in Idaho, um, like we have, uh, uh, like hard like in during harvest time here in Arizona, which would probably be like right around maybe late September, October ish. Um, in Idaho, all the kids get time off of school. Sure, right? They get a whole harvest week, which is like something that no other people get because they need labor for all those potatoes. Yeah, we. I mean. <laughs> You'd think that we wouldn't have a labor problem being as close to Mexico as we are, but we have labor issues down there during harvest for sure. Yeah. Um, and make sure everybody's feet are clean. For you. Yeah, we do. <laughs> I mean, my 20 year old son has zero desire to come pick wine grapes. You know, he's just not interested at all. Um, I can see that. Yeah. I mean, you know, Harry, he's no, he's in Harry land. Um, and he's like, where's my Xbox? Right, exactly. <laughs> and that's what I think a lot of kids are this day. But I also think that that generation is, and you're seeing it now with like millennials. They want to know where their food and their their products are coming from. And, you know, the craft brew scene is huge, right? Mm -hmm. And it has been, when did that start? Like, not when we were in college well, yeah, quite yet. Maybe, was, Sierra Nevada I, I drank I'm, in college. I'm thinking it's probably around the, like, mid-90s yeah. is probably when that happened. But that's the same reason why Four Peaks is owned by, totally. uh, owned well, by Budweiser now. I know, and that... Which was terrible from a local perspective because that was, like, our own little slice of, you know, something that was truly yeah. Arizona and with Kiltlifter being, like, born and raised right here in Arizona. Yeah. But now Anaheim or Bush owns that brand of Four Peaks, but I'll still give it to them. Like the the beer still is as good Legit. as it ever was, yeah. right? But then they uh, had to make a shift. You know, those yeah. big beverage companies had to make a shift. They saw the writing on the wall, which you see that. Um, you know, it, you saw that. I guess in in Oregon in the last like twenty years, a lot of the big champagne houses from uh, France came and bought mm -hmm. a lot of vineyards and land in Oregon and set up shop there. That same thing is about to happen in the medical marijuana industry. Oh yeah. It's about to be like a huge consolidation. For right? sure. Um, One of our growers down in Wilcox, his wife runs is HR for a big facility oh, yeah. and they're, 
they're already they're waiting for it to become legal. Yeah, so that so they, they can, can go just, gobble yeah, up everything. Everything. I was I was on a marketing thing with a, a company called Try Lately, which is an artificial intelligence based uh, social media software where you feed a URL. Yeah, you feed a URL into the AI, and the AI says maybe it's a blog article about wine. Mm-hmm. Right. The AI goes through and it'll curate for you fifty posts, fifty social media posts off of whatever off just the off content just the in content that article. There. And then maybe you have four or five pictures that you took and you go plop them through and you say, rotate these five pictures. You know, maybe you choose the 12 best posts that are there. And um, then you can say, okay, post two times a day for the next six days. And then you've just done a whole week's worth of social media on one blog article that you wrote. Um, Is it subscription based? How does that work? Yeah, it's just a monthly subscription cost. I mean. So we're playing around with it. And I come to find out that their biggest customer is Cureleaf, which is a national medical marijuana brand. And they have medical marijuana dispensaries in like 15 or 16 states. Right, and so when you have companies that are that large right. on all those places, every time one of these little one pops up and they're going to be successful, those other companies are just going to gobble them up just every swoop time. In. Yeah, that's what's happened. It's crazy. Yeah, it's it is interesting. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be crazy. Just so you guys know, we're recording this today is uh, Super Tuesday too, mm-hmm. right? So at the end of today, there's going to be all kinds of fun political things to go take a look at. We find out who's going to be running for president, yeah. Um, which is interesting. I don't talk politics on the show. I just was trying to pinpoint the day, right? Because it's uh, it is a historical day in politics mm-hmm. because all that stuff happens. I just love listening to all the rhetoric, and then it, and then it gives me a reason to drink wine or beer <laughs> or your chilada or whatever that drink. Is yeah. drink vodka and beer together? Ooh. Only one shot. I don't know. If you do, I've tried it with tequila. If you do it with tequila, it's like too peppery. Oh, okay. Right? I guess I haven't tried it with like a really good tequila though. Yeah. Because I also feel like, why would you do that with a right, really right, good right, tequila? Right. Totally. I'm just drinking That's the tequila. Valid. I <laughs> yeah. guess, yeah, vodka just ups the alcohol content in it. <laughs> yeah. It makes my dosekis go farther. There you go. There you go. <laughs> So um, what is next for Vino Bandito? Like, what do um, you, what do you guys, you know, it's, it's March. Yeah. Um, you know, you're, you're getting ready to get into the, the time where you have a lot of work to, to do to maintain your vineyard. Mm. Um, what do you, what are you doing now? What are you doing in a few months from now? And what do you do in the summertime when it gets really hot? So, okay. On the winery side of things, our first harvest was 2019. So um, that was our first year making wine. I'm figuring out what I do seasonally now, just okay. with this as a one woman show. Right now, I need to go out and buy bottling equipment. I've got my glass samples. I've selected what that looks like. We've got our label that um, we've put together. I need to submit that to the TTB so they can approve it. Um, there's a lot of uh, like fine detail stuff you have to go through um, you know, to get legal. Um, oh, you mean running a business oh, as paperwork? Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. So next step will be bottling a couple of, of the wines that I made. We made 12 this year, including a port that will sit in barrel for like the next five years. But we made some Grenache that I'm really excited about that is sitting in a concrete egg right now. And it's ready to go. Um, nice. That could go into bottle. What is a concrete egg? <laughs> it is an egg as tall as you. Um and about five feet wide and And just hold wine in it just holds wine in it yeah it's from france it's a nambla egg and um so it's just not regular concrete there's something different about that particular concrete well concrete's porous so just like a barrel is porous so it allows the wine to breathe and to kind of reduce down and um 
it just it doesn't impart any oak obviously because mm -hmm. it's it's not toasted on the inside so it's just a different stylistic choice for a vessel to age in so that wine i think is is ready to go into bottle uh, and then we have to decide if we're gonna you know what we're gonna sell through distribution what we're gonna sell directly to consumer um so the whole sales component is is yeah, that's I gotta figure that out. <laughs> I gotta figure out how to sell a thousand cases of wine I just made. But I'm don't, excited. Don't you just do like an e-commerce store? So that's what David said too. <laughs> We're talking about yes. I mean, that's Paul. That's it's just a like a fraction of, right, of it. Yeah, yeah. Right, because people want to taste wine before they buy it. You know. Well, no, that it's was a, like the Trident Winery that you and I yeah. were talking about that my Arizona grandmother's uh, 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 son-in-law uh, started yeah. with his wife. And um, that was actually some of the fun part about that totally. is being able to go up to Pine, go hang out with them for the day, yeah. you know, and... Um, and uh, it's a, it's they, a, would, they would make like some kind of a food, something that was all super nice or some cheese and yeah, whatever. Cuts. Charcuterie. Yeah, yeah, all that kind of stuff. And then um, what I thought was interesting about their wine is their wine wasn't even made from grapes. It was made from like Ocotillo flowers yeah. and all these other he like obscure local. That one was really weird tasting to yeah. me. They had a blueberry wine that was made out of blueberries and strawberries. It was amazing. I still have three bottles at my house. Um, I don't want to open them because they taste that good. Yeah. Um, that's so, cool. I'm sure you guys have some of your wines that you're like, this is the bomb.com right here. Yeah, I think some stuff, you know, you only have a first chance. What is it? A first chance to make a first impression, whatever, something like that. Something like that. Um, <laughs> I would rather some of our wines spend like 18 months in barrel and really concentrate and really reduce down and um, become more complex and interesting and then go to market with that. So we'll really have our... our, our yeah, so quality over quantity. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. Because we're so boutique we're tiny, um, yeah. Yeah. that it, it's got to be like that. Um, so Well, and you guys can do the same thing, too, is just kind of, you know, have a place for visitors to come to the winery, you know, yes. check out some stuff, feed them, you know, yeah. get them a buzz, and then hit them with a bill. There you go. It's that easy. <laughs> it's that easy. So, yeah, I it's... It's a lot of fi figuring out how we're going to go to market with it's this It's like stuff. running a nightclub, a bar, and a farm at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way of looking at it. Yeah. I yeah. think that we'll, we'll end up opening a tasting room in Old Town Scottsdale. Oh, that'll be cool. Yeah. Because then I can, I mean, I still have, you know, David and I have four children. Harrison's 20. Alex is 16. Scarlett is nine. And Harlow is eight. Mm -hmm. And, um... You know, the boys have basically said, hell no, we're not going to live down in the so middle you got, of nowhere. So you got like four years. Yeah. And the girls are like, we'll go wherever. Just give us a pony. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so the, girl, the girls do know that Shetland ponies are absolute jerks, right? I don't I don't know if they know that. They do. I, they are, you know, my family comes from the equestrian side and yeah. I've got to mess with those things are so mean. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to take care of a horse. I've yeah. got two dogs and two cats right now. It's enough. So right now I can commute down there once a week, top barrels, check on stuff, order you know, supplies. Yeah. And, and it's functional for our lives. I think eventually we'll plant down there, but probably not until the girls are in high school. Yeah. Um, and then we'll go down there and, and move down there for... How far would the high school be from your guys' property? Down the, It's... I mean, like the local, it's like not very good. It's <laughs> 50, 60 miles. It's far. Yeah. yeah. And small and not the same opportunities, you know? Yeah. Um, 
So it just is a different style of living that I think would be really cool if I had the guts to go and totally like just jump up. in. Yeah, I mean, I think I would totally embrace it. I'd be, I'd be like heading up 4-H and doing tie, all that stuff. Tie the kids up, <laughs> throw them in the trunk, and just take them and. But David them. still is running a company here, you know, and that's uh, that's important to him. And he's like an octopus. He's got his hands in like twenty things at one time. He does, yeah. and <laughs> you know, he loves to go and help down there too, which is something that I did not anticipate anticipate um my cfo husband wanting to like come help me make wine and he's not a wine drinker either like he lights his bud light and that's it but he loved coming down for harvest he just likes digging in the dirt he like just loved it i i I grew up like um i just finished tilling my mom's garden she's got like a quarter acre so we tilled up the whole thing you know all the rows and i've been i've been doing that since i was i can i can never remember a time that we didn't do right. that right and cuz my mom came from a farming community and so i absolutely love the idea of growing my own food i know i had like a gnarly uh, garden at my own yeah, house you did. for a while until i had marley yeah and then it got to the point where like you know the upkeep on my home garden and you know i'm a techie so like i had i this this sucker was on timers and drip systems and i could control it through a raspberry pi with an app on my phone of course you could. right and like do all of that kind of stuff and just the maintenance behind that type it just got out of control and i'm yeah. just like so now i have no garden i have one basil plant that i grow in the backyard <laughs> uh and it's 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 a special basil because i actually got it it's a wild purple basil plant Yum. i cloned it Right, I didn't. I didn't take the roots from where we found it. I mm-hmm. just sliced a piece off of yeah. it, and I cloned that plant. Cool. And I've now had that plant for twelve years now. Really? Yep. And every time it starts to get funky on me, I just clone it again. There you go. And and then that that's my that's, that's my go to scent of your gardening at it, home. It's because I like pasta and I love yeah, to make like for sure. you know um, the Italian food and that specific basil only tastes the way I want it to taste <laughs> in those dishes. So what a basil snob you are. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, but my mom on the other hand, we have all kinds of stuff. We're doing um, you know all the all your standard spring yeah, stuff and I love it. Um, yeah, the the sh- the sweet peas are already blooming and you know we got all kinds of fun stuff going on. I'm going to do uh, this summer. I'm going to build some raised beds down at the winery. I need to talk to you about irrigation. I can help with that. I know. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to take you up on that. Your right? husband and I have already talked about this. Oh, perfect. He was, he was like, um, so you're, you'll come down to Sonoida for like a weekend maybe yeah. and like help us out with some stuff. Cause I guess there were, you guys have some planters that you wanted to yeah, do. Yeah. I that's can help exactly. you out with all that stuff. Perfect. I'm really good at dirt. Okay. Like, I like I know you know the dirt for for uh for the for grapes. For, for yeah. the grapes. I know the dirt for like regular gardening. Yeah. It's pretty clay down there. Um it's like You can make it work. Yeah. You it's just, interesting. You like just need mulch. When they um dug for our septic system, I got to see the stratification of all <laughs> like down to like 20 feet. It was right. really cool. Like the first 5 feet was like this clay cobbly like river rock cobbles, um, loam with like super red soil, almost like Sedona. Yeah. And then it dropped off and was like this chalky, like sand. Did it, it ever get down and like dark? No, it was weird. red and then chalky. So it was just a like sandstone. It was weird. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. But Interesting. down there, like there, it's the Sonoida Valley surrounded by all of these amazing mountain ranges. Like one of the few places the Jaguar still comes up from Mexico, the Santa Rita's, yeah. is like uh, we can see those mountains. It's, oh, that's it's cool. really cool. There's Cotamundi, like weird stuff down there. It's all the Sky Islands. So it's, it's I, neat. I, I bet you there's somebody in Sonoida that ha- that um, has cows. 
Oh, there's so there's so it's cattle ranching. Then there's antelope, wild yeah. antelope herds, nice. and vineyards. And yeah, that's well, what it looks the reason like. I say that is for all of your um, non grape stuff that you want to grow. All you need to do is mix that ex- existing soil yep. with the manure from yep. the local farmers, and it'll be voila. It'll be it'll be magical. Great. I actually had the most success in my gardening time, um, not even using soil. I grew it. I grew in straight mulch and manure, and I didn't use soil at all. Um, and what was really cool about that method of growing is um, you go through a whole bunch of wet dry cycles with your root balls like really fast and so it can make your plants grow and it's so nutrient rich with all the other stuff and so that and um, we're, we're doing that in my mom's raised bed right now she has two raised beds on top of the other garden because my mom's my mom's converting because she's older and so she's like I don't want to bend totally. I don't want to bend down yeah. on the rows anymore yeah. so she's so we did we started off with two raised beds and so each year we're going to add a couple of more and you know get to the point where she just has raised beds which means I won't have to till anymore which is kind of exciting that's I guess good. for me because that's uh, a whole weekend of manual labor it's good for you Ryan you're still young you're still young it's fun I enjoy it too that's good time with your mom I'm sure well I just like driving the you know the machinery I love driving <laughs> a forklift it's like I love it yeah it's funny and tractors tractors are super fun too I think because I didn't grow up with anything like that like I was a, raised by a single mom mm-hmm. who was a businesswoman like we didn't <laughs> we didn't have I mean my dad comes from like we still have about 200 acres in Illinois of corn and soybean that's been in our family Just there for like since the 1800s I mean it's pretty cool but that is like s- super Monsanto land like commercial farmed like oh, yeah. it is a business it's down to, I mean it's interesting mm-hmm. to go watch farming on that scale yeah let's see I have where do I have I have 40 acres in Seligman Arizona. Where is that? I, I've seen it's it on in, a map. It's like in between Ash Fork and yep. Kingman on the 40. Oh, they grow wine grapes up there. Do they? Yeah. It it, get, there's a vineyard up out of get, Kingman. Okay. Yeah. So it gets like snow and all that. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sure what we're going to do with that place yet. Do you it's have just, water? No, I have nothing. Water you need. I, Although grapes are a great low water use crop, well, the, which is wonderful for get, Arizona. The water table is pretty low is there. it yeah so you could probably you could probably drill yeah. an on-site well for probably six seven thousand that's not bad you know i've seen other places my uncle when he had his ranch it was on uh well what's now just a housing community at 19th avenue and joe max right but when i grew up there was nothing there right it was just the desert no joe max is where we would throw the keg in the back of the exactly. truck and go hang yeah, out and exactly. have a, a out boondocker in the, out in the desert yeah. yeah yeah so my uncle owned like 40 almost 50 acres over there and so all of those houses that are built on that corner my uncle owned all that land and when they first built their house it was a, a horse ranch um, because it was really close to turf paradise oh yeah yeah, yeah. they had to their, their well cost them thirty thousand yeah. dollars because they had to go through all this crazy rock and yep. it was like super deep but yeah water's important water's important yeah, yeah. we have power though they they put power that's poles good in, so i got that that's good but i think with water though i could just get a trailer for now and just tote it up there and then have like one of those trailers that has a water tank on yeah. it and probably be good for a minute at least have a bug out spot so (laughs) it it would at least get you out of the heat here in the summer Sonoida, you asked how hot it is down there in the summer highs are in the upper well i would say like low 90s um and 50 at night it's really nice oh that's a huge temperature swing it so fun fact for you because of the high desert arizona Mm -hmm. it's called a diurnal shift and it's the temperature difference between day and night 
And Arizona has the second highest diurnal shift uh, next to Argentina, which, you know, Arizona gets compared to California a lot, but wines should not be compared to California wines because we grow at altitude. They're more like Chilean and Argentinian wines. Um, But yeah, I mean, 40 to 50 degrees is not uncommon we're, in Arizona. We're, we're dealing with that right now. Yeah. Like even even in Phoenix, right? Like totally. this, this morning it was 38 or 39 degrees. Over by you? Over in Levine when I left. Yeah. Like my truck is telling me, I'm like. That's cold. Really that cold. I was like, I had like mist on the side of the truck. And then, you know, it's like 75 degrees outside right now. Yeah. You know, and I'm just, it is, this is the weird, one of the weird times of the mm-hmm. year for, for Arizona. But I also, my two favorite times of year in Arizona is coming out of uh, winter and going into spring mm-hmm. uh, and then coming out of summer and moving into the fall. Like yeah, in that's October. the best. October like, you know, is amazing. Yeah. I, I just, luckily I was born in October too. So. Oh, see, that's a good time of year to have a birthday. And, the, and then we we got married in October too. And I did that on purpose so I wouldn't forget my anniversary. Just, oh, you know, good. being honest. And I was at your wedding. I <laughs> yeah, know. I, I remember. I, I, I can't. <laughs> Massively pregnant at the time. I, th- I appreciate you being on. Do you guys have um, uh, social media pages and stuff set up we for the have, winery? We um, have an Instagram nice. at Vino Bendito. You can follow my journey there. Um, my one woman show journey <laughs> of shoveling tons and tons of fruit. Um, while we have a forklift, we don't have a fruit elevator or a hopper. So I literally shovel. I shoveled Can't 30 use the forklift to lift the... Yeah, but I don't have a tilt on it. Mm. So I literally shoveled 33,000 pounds of fruit last September. I hope you have a big shovel. It was the buckets and shovels and yeah. One of those big good. wide ones. I'm lifting weights to get ready for next harvest. <laughs> I'm not going in out of shape. <laughs> That's funny. My cousin uh, Judd in Idaho used to say the same thing because- You can't mess around. Well, what if I get hurt? Like who's yeah. gonna do anything? Well, and that's what he would do. He's like, oh, I gotta do spud week. And it's like right in the middle of football season and all that. And so he's like, all right, I'm gonna start in June yeah. and get myself all ready to go. Totally. Yeah, so I can, I can understand that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> get in shape. So Vino Bandito, awesome, Brooke. Thank you for joining us on the show today. She's the owner and winemaker at Vino Bandito and also on the board of directors of the Arizona Wine Growers Association. Make sure you go check them out uh, at Vino Bandito on Instagram. Follow what Brooke's got going on. Um, I can attest just knowing her uh, for such a long time. She's a great person. So whatever she's working on, she's got her... uh, 110 percent cap on that's Thanks, for sure ryan so i appreciate that thank you yeah. well once we have wine and bottle i'll bring you some awesome and i'll make you a wine maybe snob. you can convert me I, I, I it's not that i don't like wine i'm just really picky about the wine that i, I drink well let's find that wine let's do it let's thank do you for it. having me today we appreciate you being on thank you ladies and gentlemen you're tuned in to finding your frequency right here on the voice america talk radio network make sure that if you're listening on your favorite podcatcher device or application whatever that may be you give us five stars because they're way better than four and it really makes me sad if i get less than five stars and it makes me feel like i'm not doing a good job for you guys the listeners and of course if there's ever anything you guys want to talk about you can email us at info at voiceamerica.com follow me on twitter at radio ryan one at voice america trn and of course, go check out the website, findingfrequency.net. And stay tuned because we'll be back next week with some more fantastic episodes right here on Finding Your Frequency. <laughs>